Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about fear of famine and territorial trees. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Julia Tovar and Micah Edwards are voice talents Steve Gray, Nathan Pearson, Olivia Steele, and Kevin Barberi. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Dark. 
Our first tale this evening is written by Julia Tovar and is performed by Steve Gray. In it, we are taken to a world I know I'm at least thankful not to live in. Now, without further ado, I present to you the sweetest honey. It was never supposed to be like this. Everything went wrong. Or maybe it's because everything went right. The trees that used to be a beautiful green all stand bare and rotten. The flowers that bloomed every year became less and less. After all, the wind and other critters can only do so much. None of them can replace what we lost. I'm sure we never would have gone through with it had we known the devastation it would bring. But we should have known. Every kid learns about it in elementary school, so why did it slip our minds so easily? Where to even start? My lab, 260. We were a bunch of entomologists, or in other words, bug nerds. The main focus of my crew was to create a hybrid of a mosquito and a bee. Mosquitoes need our blood to reproduce, and it is quite often inconvenient for people. We thought we could get them to eat honey instead, since everything they need in the blood can be found in honey. Our beginning attempts were, how do I put it kindly, giant screw-ups. The first success was discovered when we hatched a group of them in a honeycomb placed underwater. They hatched and grew much like mosquitoes, but were fed honey inside of the comb. Our very first one to crawl out and exit the water was amazing. She was thinner and long, but fluffy with the marks of a bee. Her proboscis, or mouth, was more like that of a butterfly's instead of the needle we all know. It was a lot of discussion, but once they all grew, we decided to put them in a sealed room with clovers and dandelions, since those are some of the first flowers that bees usually collect from in the spring. They quickly began to organize, and even though we gave them a bee box, the colony chose to build on the side of the water, almost like a beaver dam. Under examination, we discovered that the queen could only ever live underwater. It was weeks since they hatched, and we noticed a few things. The hive was bustling with new life and population, but none of the mosquito bees, or moss bees, as I had liked to call them, were producing any honey. This should have been the moment we dropped the experiment, but we were too blind in our success to think about what could happen. Instead, we found they would sacrifice one of their own to be swallowed by a fish. Fish, we added, so they could learn to protect themselves from water dangers. The venom they had turned out to be enough to kill it, and once the fish surfaced a few days later, they would feed off of it. We are not sure how they figured this out. I suggested we breed a new batch and check these for a honey stomach. Sure enough, the ones created by the queen were born without this property meaning they were able to evolve very quickly to their needs. A few other scientists agreed with me about starting over, but most simply said we need to get rid of the fish to reintroduce the need for honey. Being outvoted, we continued the project. Once the fish were gone, they thrived on honey. Some of the crew even dared to try it. They said it was the sweetest honey any of them had ever tasted. We found some of them trying to sneak some more and had to ban the consumption since it might ruin the experiment. It wasn't long after that that we began to consider a wild study, a secluded pond 
or an abandoned part of a lake to set up their first hive. It was the beginning of spring. Our final location was an area off of the Black River in Michigan. I initially thought that the first experience in nature, most of them would die from unknown predators, disease, or simply from it being unfamiliar grounds. Some part of me wishes I was right. It would be better to be a failure at this point. But unfortunately, I was wrong. Very wrong. They adapted better than we could have ever hoped. The older mosquito bees tried to hunt, but most of the younger ones foraged like they had in the lab. We thought this was good. Once the older ones died off, there would be no more glitches. As far as any of us knew, the project was going swimmingly. They would be ready for when winter hits. It turned out that the preferred number of queens was three, which was fine. It helped increase population and chances of survival. We had a couple of bumps, mainly raccoons. They would come to the water to wash their food and discover the hive. Once the critters had a taste of the honey, they would always try sneaking back, no matter what. A small skunk had been swarmed at one point in the night. In the morning, when we discovered it, many of the mosquito bees were feeding off of it. It was confiscated quickly due to the fear of them evolving to hunt again. Throughout the winter, the hive became dormant. We all simply waited and hoped they made it. Now, I only wished for the opposite. If only anything could have gone wrong, maybe an attack on the hive, not having enough honey to last, or a freeze that killed them all. Something. That winter was mild. They even popped out on a few of the warmer days. It was always exciting to see them, our little creations, our monsters. When January passed, the weather became its coldest and we didn't see them again until spring. We, of course, kept a constant watch on them and made sure to deter any predators that came too close. By late March, early April, we saw that the numbers had dwindled to almost nothing. Only one of the queens had survived, but that didn't seem to stop them. As soon as they could, they began collecting again, rebuilding the colony. We saw that they favored dandelions and clovers, but didn't think much of it. After all, that's what we gave them in the lab. Let me make this clear. Our entire project was kept mainly a secret from the public, so one could imagine our surprise when our little bug was discovered by the ESA, or Entomological Society of America, and the ESC, or Entomological Society of Canada. They claimed to have found the mosquito bees in the waterways collecting honey and hunting fish. Their official name became Apis culicidae. However, among people, they became known as blood bees found that the previous queens did, in fact, not die, but had migrated to the Great Lakes. Our experiment had somehow spread through the waterways. At first, we were very concerned not knowing how this would affect the balance of nature, the food chain, the circle of life, and all that. But it seemed to be going just how we planned. The male blood bees repopulated with female mosquitoes, which meant that soon they would no longer feed on humans, which in turn should have reduced the spread of disease. The team was split up and sent to study any colony found. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. 
Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I was sent to the Upper Peninsula, to a colony that was found near the pictured rocks. At first, to be honest, I was very excited. Many thought I was lucky and I knew some had far worse destinations. But what I discovered, nothing had ever scared me like that before. It was simple to obtain a guide that would help me through the study. A larger boat was considered, but in the end, a kayak would let me get the closest. It was strange to see them living on their own, almost like watching a kid grow up to have their own life and family. The hive was very similar to the one on the riverbank, except, of course, this one was built into the side of the rocks. Most days, I simply watched the busy life of the hive. I would see what they did before morning and right before night. I was even able to scuba dive and study the underwater section of the hive. Around a week in, I decided to study them at night. Now, most bees don't fly at night, but with the hybrid of mosquitoes, it dawned on me that they could be active at all times. In the evening, most would return to the hive as if to settle in, but I never stayed. The guide was kind and well paid to be out so late. We brought lights, but I hoped to use the night scope to not disturb the hive. Above the water there was no movement, and we were about to call it a night after watching nothing. But with the full moon, we were able to catch a glimpse of something under the water. I didn't have my scuba gear, but I needed to know what was happening. I put on a swim marker and moved close to the hive. At first, I didn't see much but quickly spotted a queen with a swarm of larvae behind her. They gave a slight glow under the black light, so we followed them for hours. The sun started coming up, and the queen finally stopped and latched onto part of the stone wall. All the larvae swarmed her, and right before our eyes began building a new hive, but only part under the water. I offered to head back for the sake of my guide, but she was quite invested at this point. I remember making a mental note to give her credit when it all became a success. I can only hope no one ever discovers she was a part of the process at all. Many of my friends have gone missing, and I can only guess what has happened to them. We waited to see what would happen, and about an hour past sunrise, a loud buzz was approaching. I would say it was about a third of the colony following their queen, their mother, to the new location, continuing to build on the foundation. When I shared the news with the crew, they were all excited and even reported similar sightings happening to their hives. Every night I watched the hive, but only after the colony is built up and thriving does a queen leave to create a new one. 
It was actually on my day off that I made the terrible discovery. I had decided to visit Makana and watch the cargo ships go by. I've often loved boats, so I was watching through binoculars. At the time, I didn't know what type of ship it was, but with a quick Google search, I found it was one of those that traveled through the waterways to the ocean. Right on the hull was a blood beehive. I was too far away to see any activity, but I knew our hives. After reporting, we all agreed that it was best to contact the company before the blood bees entered other parts of the world, but it was already too late. It didn't take long before we started hearing reports of our blood bees all over. Over the summer, our little experiments grew like wildfire spreading to the world, and the world quite honestly loved them. In just one summer, the mosquito populations dwindled to almost nothing. They were known for being fast and resilient, able to survive anything, anything at all. As far as we knew, they had not upset any balance. That is, until winter struck. Fall was approaching the northern hemisphere and the blood bees spread further south now that their winter was ending. Life was pretty good for me and my crew. We were given credit for our masterpieces and given parties, awards, and congratulations. Now, I'm sure they would have been executions. It must have been in the late winter when things began to go awry. Unlike the previous year, this winter was bitter and cold. None of us were sure how long it had been occurring. But it was a beekeeper who discovered the incident when one of his hives was torn apart. While the bee box itself stood fine, the inside was destroyed, with many of the bees having died trying to protect their home. He had no idea what could have done this, but by the third attack, it was found that the blood bees were the ones creating the damage. Stories like this were popping up wherever the weather became cold enough to stop honey production. People came running to us looking for answers. All we could assume was that with the rapid growth and speed, our blood bees never actually had time to create a hive with enough honey to last. The winter was slow and many beekeepers suffered great losses as did wild bees. In the spring, we thought things would become better with the bloom of dandelions and clovers. By this time, our team was despised by most and taken to court multiple times. We thought things could only get better, but over the summer, things only grew worse. Not only did the blood bees keep attacking hives, but many populations of animals dipped from the lack of mosquitoes. We had hoped that the hybrids would be able to still be a food source, but with their extremely venomous sting, the animals steered clear from them. People tried to create poisons and repellents, and even some labs resorted to trying to create a disease to be rid of the blood bees. Nothing worked. Summer and winter once again came and went. Many bees had disappeared from starvation or protecting the hive. In the spring, when the flowers bloomed, there was no one to spread the pollen. The other insects did their best to make up for the bees, but when the time came for the harvest, many farms came up short. That fall, there were no carved pumpkins, no apple cider, no spiced lattes. Everything was gone. Even the big corporations were taking a hit. By the next year, prices had more than tripled and travel and trade had been banned to slow the spread of the blood bees. It would all be useless though. Once they reached a continent, there wasn't a thing that could stop them. Soon they were in the smallest, most secluded towns found in outdoor pools and personal ponds. Some were even found in water troughs. 
Food became scarce. All food. It was a horrible chain reaction. Things we never imagined happening, happened. Medicine was lost. Dairy, wool, and any farm with animals were all lost. Meaning meat as well. Most people quit their jobs simply to try to survive. After all, if money can't buy you basic needs like food and clothes, what's the point of it? I'm sure humanity could have made it through if we had remained calm. Some farmers started raising vultures and fed them the meat of the livestock they lost. I heard the pigs did all right for a bit, eating anything they could, but even with the effort, the people panicked. Overhunting, overfishing, hoarding supplies, thieving, and cases of cannibalism broke out as well. The government did the best they could to keep nations together, but it became apparent the rich planned on taking care of themselves, and loyalty was not something that could be bought anymore. While most people forgot about the blood bees, I continued to watch, hoping to find a weakness. I had hoped, once they took out the bees, they themselves would take over the bees' jobs, recreating the honey and pollinating. But that did not come to pass. Instead, they took a more serious turn, hunting bigger game than fish and some rodents. With the lack of food, I watched while the swarms attacked animals like foxes, coyotes, and deer, feeding off of the blood and moving on to the next prey. They were merciless and evolved so they may sting multiple times. As time went on, it only got worse. Winter was coming again, and I saw a hive growing and didn't know what they were filling it with. Again, I hoped it was honey. I put on a bee suit and broke into one of the hives. Instead of a beautiful, sweet, golden liquid, I found a potent-smelling slime. Blood honey. Unfortunately, they were not storing it for the reason I thought. Instead of eating what they made, the red goo was food enough to attract some animals. I observed them bait animals to conserve energy. I saw that if an animal was too thin or sickly, they would let it continue to eat until healthy before swarming and eating them. Humans soon followed the animals, breaking into the hives. Some tried to eat the blood bees, but they had evolved not only to be extremely venomous, but deathly poisonous. No one seemed to put two and two together, and it's understandable, trying to survive and everything. But even with the pile of rotting carcasses around the hive, the animals would always come back to the hive. Some of the people in my village have been caught trying to sneak back to the hive even after the terrible effects the blood honey had. I'm not sure why or how, but I believe the honey was always addictive. And the blood bees have no problem seeing humans as just more prey. Another thing to consume and destroy. The only problem is, it's about the last food left. Especially since we were raided the other day, they stole all the food we had left. If we can make it till spring, we could collect some dandelions to create flour. That's about the only flower still alive. Well, dandelions and clovers. They never forgot about those flowers. But spring is months away and I'm so hungry. I do wonder if it's still the sweetest honey. I hope you enjoyed The Sweetest Honey, as written by Julia Tovar and performed by Steve Gray.
Steve Gray is a writer, audio producer slash director, narrator, actor, editor, and artist, specializing in horror, mystery, thriller, and fantasy fiction and art. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our second tale of the evening is written by Micah Edwards and is performed by Nathan Pearson, Olivia Steele, and Kevin Barberi. In it, we'll meet a group of friends going away for an Arbor Day holiday. But do you think they'll all return? Now, without further ado, I present to you Arbor Vitae. We're going to make this a tradition. The others in the back of the van could barely hear him over the music. Our Arbor Day getaway. We're not, Jer. Jerry gave her a wounded look, and she reached over and put a hand on his shoulder. And that's okay. Our tradition can just be old sweetmates getting together whenever. We manage it at least once every year. It doesn't have to be a set time. It works out. So far, yeah, but for how long? Jerry jerked his head at the back of the van. It's not just the four of us anymore, which is awesome, don't get me wrong. And schedules are already getting complicated. We started trying to sort this out in November of last year. Devin piped up from one of the back benches. And here we are! For how much longer? I'm serious. This is important to me. Graduation is staring us in the face. And then what? We're not going to see each other around campus. We're not even going to be in the same states anymore. If we don't pick a weekend and make it sacrosanct, we'll lose each other. The foretop is through. Sarah shook her head and laughed at his melodrama. Thanks to social media, it took an active effort to lose touch with anyone these days. Drifting apart had been replaced by ghosting. If the four of them stopped getting together, it was going to be by someone's intentional choice. That wouldn't even necessarily be a bad thing. Sarah loved this tiny friend group, of course. There was a reason that they'd stayed so close all through college. But it might be good for some of them to branch out a little further. By some of them, she really meant Jerry specifically. 
Devin and Morgan were both doing fine, as evidenced by their partners, Nat and Adam, who they brought along for the weekend. They'd gotten into sports, clubs, frats, the standard college experience. Sarah herself had a thriving friend group assembled from her various writing classes. She loved the foretop, but she didn't live the foretop. Jerry, on the other hand, only seemed to have them. He didn't go out on the weekends unless they brought him along. He didn't join the gaming club. He didn't try out for theater productions. Sarah knew he was only interested in these things, but he was unwilling to do the work to get involved. He'd found his friend group, and he was done. Honestly, she wasn't sure that they would be doing Jerry any favors by promising to get together regularly once college ended. Only hanging out with them was fine for college, where they saw each other several times a week. Even though they hadn't all been in the same dorm since freshman year, the campus only had a few thousand people on it. It was pretty simple to meet up, and if Jerry wanted to spend the nights that he didn't see them alone in his dorm room, that was his business. The problem was that it was all too easy for Sarah to picture Jerry doing the same thing after they've all moved away going to work, refusing to make new friends, then coming back to sit in his empty apartment night after night, spending months planning for the next trip with his old college buddies, looking forward to Arbor Day of all things. There were days that were okay to be excited about. Christmas, birthdays, New Year's. Arbor Day didn't seem to come close to making the list. Obviously, the point wasn't Arbor Day itself, but still, Sarah could just see Jerry telling new people, Arbor Day is the highlight of my year. That sentence alone would guarantee that he would never make any new friends. It wasn't that she didn't like Jerry. She did. She just didn't want to be responsible for his happiness. Her thoughts were interrupted by a large wooden structure overhanging the road, framing a rusted metal toll booth in the middle. The sign overhead announced that they were entering Koruska State Park. The toll booth was plastered with too many signs to easily read, but they all seemed to be rules and regulations for the park. Jerry slowed to a stop and rolled down his window. A park ranger who looked about as old and poorly maintained as the toll booth itself squinted back at him from inside. He gave the van a disapproving glare. Hi, uh, we're here for the campsites. There was an awkward pause. He didn't seem to have anything else to add. So it's like 20 bucks to get in? The mention of money finally stirred the man to life. He punched keys on an ancient cash register until the drawer popped open and the printer began spitting out a lengthy receipt. He accepted Jerry's bill with another grunt and handed him the ticket. Put that on your dash. If you're buying wood at the camp store, put that receipt on your dash, too. Under no circumstances are you to collect wood from the forest to burn. You got that? Not fallen trees, not dead branches, not a single twig. Understand? Everyone in the car had quieted down at the man's sudden intensity. Jerry gave him a nod. Got it. No wood from the forest. I'll be coming around and checking at night. If I see you with a fire and I don't see a receipt for logs from the camp store, you're banned from the park. No refunds. No waiting until morning. You pack up and get right out then. 
I don't care if it's 2 a.m. and a half of you were drunk, I will throw you out. Camp Storewood only, no problem. The ranger stared Jerry down for another moment, then nodded and pulled the lever. The striped barrier blocking the road jerked upward. You kids have a good time. Welcome to Koriska. Everyone was silent for a moment as they drove off. Uh, I was a little unclear. We are allowed to burn wood we find? The entire van broke up into laughter. (laughs) (laughs) No. Did I have it backwards? It seemed a little open to interpretation. I know park rangers are supposed to care about trees, but that was something else. We are definitely going to the camp store. I'm not interested in getting stabbed by a crazy ranger tonight. You better glue that receipt to the dashboard. Our lives depend on that piece of paper, man. What if the printer's broken at the store? I will kidnap the store employee and leave him on the car to explain that we definitely bought the wood. (laughs) (laughs) Their joking continued as they entered the camp store. The man at the counter gave them a tired look, clearly used to hearing people's comments on the dire warnings from the front gate. He simply tapped the sign by the register's reading, Cash Only. Anyone have any bills on them? I just gave my last 20 to the guy at the gate. A brief examination of wallets yielded enough cash to buy one bundle of wood. Jerry eyed the small bundle suspiciously. Well, I guess it'll have to do. Okay, let's get to camp. A few hours later, the tents were up. The sun was setting and dinner was cooking over the fire. Beers had been handed around and everyone was lounging in chairs or on blankets, chatting and laughing. Jerry smiled as he would let the sound wash over him. This was how life should always be. He knew that the others would be willing to let their group split up after college, that they thought that it was just the way life went. He was willing to be the glue that kept them together. These were friendships worth keeping, and in a decade or so, they'd thank him for the work he'd put in to maintain their bonds. They had done too much together to let a small thing like geographical distance separate them. Maybe Sarah was right about a specific weekend being a bad idea, though frankly, Jerry thought getting together every Arbor Day to go to the woods was a fun idea. In any case, something to make sure they saw each other at least once a year was necessary. He had no problem with including Nat and Adam, and even kids once people started having them, as long as the core group all made it. They could bring anyone they liked. He would fight to the death to keep them together. I guess I know the answer to this, but where's the bathroom around here? Her boyfriend Adam gestured broadly at the woods surrounding them. Anywhere you like. Gross. Did anyone at least bring toilet paper? I did. Uh, come on, I'll go with you. Yeah, don't use any leaves you find out there. Those are the forest leaves. Touch them and die. The fire's looking good. Sarah pointedly turning away from Devin. Ignoring his jokes was the only way to get him to calm down sometimes. Aren't we going to burn through all our wood pretty soon at this rate, though? Devin butted his way back into the conversation. Nah, I got some more. Sarah gave him a look. What? It was like one armful of fallen stuff. We bought the stupid wood like the guy wanted. He's never going to know if we supplemented a bit. I put it all in first just in case he comes by to check the wood pile or something. 
All he'll ever see is ashes and wood from the camp store. The trees all around the camp rustled as if they'd all been shaken at once by a huge gust of wind. The fire never flickered, though. Looks like the trees noticed. Stop it, both of you. If he does come by and you're talking about the wood you stole, we're going to get kicked out. Sound carries well out here. A sudden cry came from the woods. Help me, please. Oh, my God. Help. Jerry stood up, looking around in the dark for the source. Was that Morgan? Probably a fox. Like Sarah just said, sound carries well. I could have been from anywhere. We ought to go check on them, just in case. They're fine. Adam waved at Jerry's chair. You worry too much, man. The woods are full of weird noises. On cue, the trees rustled again. Uh, uh, All right. Jerry sat back down. It's not like I can leave Devin to tend to dinner anyway. Not if we don't all want to eat charcoal. (laughs) Hey, I'll have you know that I... Suddenly, Devin's words were cut off and his hands flew to his throat. He suddenly stumbled backward into the darkness, vanishing into the trees almost immediately. Devin? Hey, Devin! Jerry was on his feet again, charging into the direction his friend had disappeared. Devin, answer me! I swear the trees weren't this close when we made camp. Then Adam, too, was ripped from his seat and dragged off into the woods. Hey! Oh my god! Sarah saw what happened this time. Some sort of branch or vine had lashed down from above to encircle Adam's neck. From the cracking sound it had made as it yanked him from his chair, she didn't think he was still alive. She spun around, unsure where the next attack might come from. The trees were pressing in all around. The clearing in which they'd made their camp had shrunk to less than a dozen feet across. Trees were rooted in between their tents. They loomed ever closer, seeming to advance every time their eyes weren't on them. Then something grabbed Sarah's arm. It's me! It's me! Jerry's eyes were panicked. His face was splattered with blood. We gotta go! Devin's dead! It had him off the ground by his neck! I I tried to grab for him, and it ripped his head off! What what did? I don't know. The trees! We gotta get to the car! The two fled for the vehicle, their fear mounting as they shoved their way through grasping branches. The trees were impossibly close, practically forming a wall. They ducked and thrashed their way through, holding each other's hand in a death grip, terrified of being separated. I, I see it! I see the car! Jerry's flashlight beam bounced and bobbed, but in the wavering light, Sarah also spotted the gleam of metal just a few feet away. (sighs) They had almost made it. They were nearly safe. They squeezed between two trees, the gap barely wide enough for their bodies, and stopped dead in dismay. The car sat directly in front of them, completely boxed in by trees. The forest grew so tightly around it that they could not even open the doors. What did- Before Jerry could continue, rough bark wrapped around his waist. Ah! No! Ah! Ah! 
Jerry and Sarah screamed in unison as branches grabbed and ripped them away from each other. Sarah's nails dug furrows down his arm as she attempted to cling to him, but it was no use. Jerry watched her frantic, frightened face disappear into the night, even as he felt himself lifted up and back into the trees. His last thought was that he had failed his friends. It was almost a relief when the trees snapped his neck. The ranger found the abandoned campsite the next morning with overturned chairs and heavy marks of things being dragged into the woods. (sighs) He'd heard the cries during the night. He'd already brought six saplings for the bodies he knew he'd find nearby. The trees were always agitated after an incident like this. New growth helped to pacify them. Plus, it would help the six latest arrivals adjust to their new homes as well. I hope you enjoyed Arbor Vitae, as written by Micah Edwards and performed by Nathan Pearson. Kevin Barberi, and Olivia Steele. You can find more of Micah Edwards by visiting creepypastastories.com slash Micah Edwards. That's creepypastastories.com slash M-I-C-A-H-E-D-W-A-R-D-S. You can hear more of these wonderful performers right here on our very own network. On to the shows. Longtime resident Otis Jiry has his very own show right here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. We also have Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. And don't forget to check out the Fear from the Heartland archives, featuring more than 120 episodes. Well, friends, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. See you next Monday. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.